The Full Exposure Podcast is brought to you by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, in appreciation of the creative and artistic visionaries who enrich our lives through cultural connections. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your boy, Brian. Uh, today's guest is Bree Stoner, an amazing recording artist, a podcaster, a writer, a mischief maker. And uh, Bree and I have a brief and short history working together collaboratively on a music video I did about a year ago. Uh, that I've linked to on our episode page. And it's quite something. That video is something I'm very proud of, and I hope you will go watch it on our episode page. It's for her um, her recording collaboration, this group called Avila, that she does with her collaborative partner, Daniel Johnson. And she also does her own solo music projects as well. But I got to say, if you've seen any of the portraits that we shot specifically for this episode, you probably have a good idea that the conversation is going to be extremely, extremely interesting, and it's going to be all over the place. Uh, Bree's one of the most vulnerable artists I know, and rarely have I ever worked with a person that arrives in my studio with concepts that are fully formed that are brilliant and just ready to go for the camera. And uh, I got to say that my two working projects with Brie, one for this podcast and one for her music video, uh, the creative effort and conceptual ideas are about 98% Brie. And I am pretty much a monkey pushing a button, which is a wonderful process to work through sometimes because... I can just vibe off her energy, which is just electric, and uh, she's fearless in front of the camera. And just check out the portraits. So I won't wax on too much about that, but you need to check out these portraits. There's a whole conceptual layer to the costuming and things that she brought to the studio that you should check out. And uh, Brie, besides being a recording artist, uh, is a podcaster. She's a writer. And uh, you may know her from the globally, I'm talking globally popular podcast called Another Name for Everything that she co-hosts with Paul Swanson and the famed, famed Franciscan priest and author Richard Rohr, who past guests have cited as a major influence on them with Kent Dobson, as well as Rob Bell cites him as someone who's uh, influential in their thinking around uh, religion and spirituality and the universal everything. So uh, she works regularly with Richard, and this podcast is quite amazing. It's got uh, a a ton of followers. It's a a really interesting podcast. I've also linked to that on Bree's episode page. But aside from that, we talk about uh, Brie growing up in the my favorite country in the world after the United States is Spain. She grew up in Madrid and Zaragoza. And um, in this conversation, we break down a whole bunch of things, but the intersection of creativity and spirituality, her forthcoming solo podcast, which I cannot wait for, called Unknowing, and so much more. It's unbelievable. So... Uh, Without me yammering on any farther, let's explore the bigger picture with recording artist, 
podcaster, writer, mischief maker. I can attest to that. That's uh, she's uh, she's some trouble in a good way. She's good trouble, as they say. Uh, let's explore the bigger picture with my guest and friend, Bree Stoner. This seems a little quiet. Maybe it's because of my stupid hat. No, it's a little. It's a little quiet. It's a little quiet. Yeah. The overall volume could come up a, a little bit. Hey, this feels. Hey. Hey. Oh, <laughs> this feels good. I like that. <laughs> you know, and you can hear yourself oh, really, God. really well, and you start purring, oh, and you're like, "So I was, I was thinking." <laughs> <laughs> Always, you always got to drop into it. You're like, hey, can you give me uh, something or other? That'd be good. Look at that. Damn. Huh? That's wow. what we're doing. Wow. All right, am I situated? Let me just see. Two waters. Do you have a particular geometric shape? Bree, if I'm off You're trying to at create. all, then... This isn't working, and I start throwing stuff, and then it. it's embarrassing when it ends badly for the guests. And I'm like, get out of here. I just really wish I had go-go gadget arms so that I could tweak it just like 10 degrees to sure. the, you know, and then just the whole I'm time. I'm actually trying to sell boxed water. They do send me. They're nice. They send me there you go. free water. But, you know, a water sponsor comes along for real. <laughs> They're gone. They are gone. No, I'm just kidding. They're nice people. Um, cool, Bree Stoner. All right, so I don't even know where to start with you because um, I I don't know. We met in a very uh, well. Yeah, somehow you reached out to me about I did. something. Well, because I saw your insane photography through a friend. Stop. Yeah, it's true. You always give lots of compliments to the podcast host right at the beginning. Yeah, thank <laughs> this you. Is my strategy. It's working, by the way. Um, no, but I saw your incredible portraits, and I was in the midst of um, finishing up work on a record. Yeah, and for Avila. Yeah, and I was really excited about you know the opportunity to express it visually. It's one thing to sit down in the studio and create all this music, but right. you don't realize how much musicians geek out over being able to express it visually as well. So, Well, I liked it because it, it, you had a concept that you're trying to do, and it takes it back to these days where you don't, it's so much about singles now that no. there aren't these conceptual things where the artwork could tie into some larger theme abstractly to... Right. The entire album. So, well, anyway, we had coffee and then we started, you didn't know I did video and then then you're like, well, maybe he can direct the video too. And then you just came with everything and then um, I'm going to post everything. So for the audience, just a quick timeout because Bree does so many things (laughs) and we just did an incredible photo shoot for the podcast, Yeah, which... uh, Let's just start there. So Brie does a lot of different things, and I don't know. Like, this is why it's hard. It's There's like so a, many things I want to talk about. It's like a creative about hurricane, essentially. So you just got to pick yeah, hur- one disaster zone to right. go after. <laughs> exactly. It's a, it's a Category 5, too. <laughs> Legitimately. Like it's, not, it's not a 1 or 2 coming on shore. This is a full 5. Oh, this is why I'm single. <laughs> not figuring it out. Okay. We evacuated a long time ago. Right. So... Uh, no, so we did, uh, that's really our first sort of creative collaboration, 
it. And I would say I took maybe 10%. You were 90% mm-hmm. of the vision of just what you wanted to do with this music video, which again will be on your artist homepage. But um, that's when I really, I had been aware of you for a while around town as a musician and a singer and a mm-hmm. recording artist. And I always remembered your name, I think, from some of the Numas, or you mm-hmm. did a little scoring or something with Rob Bell's I did. Um, things like that. So yeah. I, I was always had your name, and then your I think it's your cousin cut my hair for a while, Ben. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Ben was there, and I'd get like little snippets of information. I was like, isn't Bree her? I don't know. I thought that you were a sister or brother, sister, or siblings. And then he's like, no, that's my cousin. And, uh, interesting story. Did he, did he say family. it like that, though? Yeah, he, he, was, was... he was mad about it. <laughs> he was not happy about being cousins. That's my cousin. <laughs> Damn that woman. It was, yeah. No, Ben, Ben, another creative. Um, mm-hmm. He's maybe not a full Category 5. He's maybe a 2 or 3. <laughs> but he's still. The stoner clan, I tell you what. He still will cause some destruction, which is that's amazing. That's fair. Um, so I, I don't know. So I, I've never had this quite with a guest that I know, and I'm not sure which angle to take for the podcast because you have so many things going mm. in some things, but I want to take it because I'm very interested and have always been in Spain. And I know mm. that you grew up there, you're bilingual. And now I found out you speak French and singing in French Ish. now. Nah, I don't know. I feel inadequate about it because <laughs> I feel like you drop that kind of subtly, like, oh, yeah, I'm singing in French now, too. And I'm like, you well. You know what? I said, to, I said this to my mom, and she's like, why the hell are you singing in French? I was like, because it just feels so good to speak French in the mouth. Like, just doesn't it feel good? And she just looked at me, and she's like, you are so strange. <laughs> but it's a thing about language, you know, which is that we can communicate different yeah. things and you know through different languages and you know certain things i can say in spanish i cannot say i cannot find a replacement for in english and yeah. so maybe in some ways it's the perfect metaphor for us in this conversation because it's like part of the reason why i feel drawn to so many different mediums is because there's so many different ways of expressing things and i feel most at home in myself when i am you know Bilingual, when there's a multivocality of expression happening mm-hmm. in my life. Um, but with Spain in particular, I think having a childhood overseas and in Spain really shaped me a lot. I think the terrain, more than anything else, um, the culture, the energy, it's just such a guttural, like ballsy, yeah. uh, sensual, beautiful culture. Yeah. Um, and where my, did you, where, so, yeah. How did you How did I come to there? be in Spain? <laughs> and what regions or cities did you yeah. primarily sort of right. come up in? So my parents were missionaries there, and they were saving the Catholics from hell, which worked out really well for us. Obviously, we were extremely successful. Well, there's no more Catholics. That's I, great. It's just, you know, they were trying to figure out why that happened. It was the stoners. <laughs> um, in all seriousness, though, they, they came to Spain um, in the early 80s. So right after I was born, I, we went there when I was, you know, seven months old or so. And um, they were working with uh, the Spanish government trying to create anti-drug programs. So at first we were in Zaragoza, which is up north, yeah. um, and then we went to Madrid. Mm-hmm. And um, most of my childhood was spent in, in Madrid. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, they worked with the Spanish government doing these, you know, youth tournaments, and they opened a youth center. Uh, my mom worked a lot with, um, you know, a lot of members of, of our community were AIDS victims and um, were not being cared for by the hospitals, by the nurses. So that was a part of my mom's, you know, ministry. Yeah. So even though I grew up with this kind of like really restrictive Baptist theology, the example of my parents and the way that they lived in embracing other cultures and embracing other people um, and, and embracing art as well. They were both just avid, you know, art fans. Yeah. So even though we were dirt poor, we would travel around in our little Volvo and go to all of like, yeah. you know, the art museums and see as much of the exhibits as we could and yeah. travel through Europe as we were able to. Well, that's amazing. And I'm wondering, did you, were you immersed in Spanish culture schools and yeah. those things too? So that's a huge up, right? Yeah. So you're not just at some school for American kids. And that was really, I mean, it was, it was controversial for my parents to make that decision at that time. And people, this was pre like, you know, now Spanish immersion and, and you know, raising kids bilingually is like, we have all these studies that show the benefits of that. At that time, it was like, oh, your, child, your kids aren't going to know how to speak English and read in English. And what are they going to do when they get to college, you know? Yeah. But they were so committed to embracing the Spanish culture and becoming part of culture that... My brother and I went to Spanish public schools, and we thought we were Spanish. I mean, like, yeah, I, you Why know, would you? yeah, you just to want this to day. assimilate as a kid. You just want to be a kid, <laughs> right? So, but especially, you know, my first language was really Spanish. I mean, English was spoken at home, so that we would, you know, yeah. learn. But uh, you know, when when you're in Spain, when your childhood is surrounded by a specific culture, you you know, there's a phenomenon now that describes it's called third culture kids. When kids grow up, you know, military or missionary kids grow up in another in another culture, but they realize they're not you know native. Yeah. But because you don't really belong to one or the other, you belong to both, and yeah. it creates a different kind of sense of place in the world when you grow up with that kind of fluidity. Yeah, were you? Um I'm assuming because kids take to languages like crazy and their immersed culture at school or whatever. Were you uh, fully immersed? Did you feel normal? Did kids? Did Spanish kids look at you as an American girl or more of a Spanish girl? That they never just... believed I was American. In really? fact, when I was, I think I was in third grade, when I finally paraded half the class to our little apartment building buzzed, you know, my mom to bring down my passport so that she could show it to them because oh, yeah. they just didn't believe it, you know? Right. We were we were just part of life there. So and if I get angry enough during this podcast and start swearing, you'll you'll understand, understand. in Spanish. You'll you'll hear the Castilian accent. We won't bleep that out because there's not any reason to for this local audience. But the uh, no, but I've spent a lot of time in Spain. Had an exchange sister live with our family when I was a senior. She was a classmate mm-hmm. and also was uh, lived at our house. And she's still my best friend to today. Maintain mm-hmm. this twenty thirty year rate. Uh, I don't even know how long. Long time thirty plus year relationship. And I've now brought my oldest daughter over, and we traveled around Madrid a year ago, pre-pandemic. And then, uh, yeah, so it's just a culture I've always wanted to be more immersed in, but Mm -hmm. um, I always had English speakers around. So I'm barely uh, conversational (laughs) in my Spanish, but it's... uh, 
but it's a draw. It's a call. Like it's a siren call. I can't wait to get back there. Yeah, her, me her, too. Yeah. So they sort of adopted me. Uh, well, informally, it's formally informally, and like as formal as you can get without pieces of paper. We're sort of <laughs> like she was adopted by my parents, and I was adopted by her family, and her mom, who's ninety two now, uh, survived COVID. Uh, her brother survived COVID and Spain got hit so hard. So, so hard. Anyway, I can't wait to go back because I want to rush. I, my, I want all my daughters to meet uh, Maria Jose, who's mm-hmm. her mom. And uh, she's 92 and the matriarch of everything yeah. and the sweetest woman on the planet. So uh, anyway, we're going to get back at some point as soon as we can travel. But uh, yeah. how do you think that informs? So now, I mean, now you're able to switch gears all the time between these mm-hmm. cultures and languages and mm-hmm. creatively as an artist, what does that do for you or complicate things when you're trying to express? Because I think as an artist and as Many layers as you express yourself through, as we saw today, wardrobe and character-driven mm-hmm. characters in your music that you write, right. how you convey different characters and different moods and concepts. And even as a, um, a searcher and a learner through your podcast mediums mm-hmm. and those conversations you're having, like, do you just feel like everything's coming at you all the time and you're trying to distill or is it a more natural flow for you? I think, I mean, I think that's been the journey Um, of the last several years of my life is to learn how to see holistically, to see these disparate pieces of my life as belonging to one whole creative expression. And, you know, it's, it's, it's really curious to me how in this culture we think that people find themselves or arrive in their 20s or their 30s. And I'm 38 and I'm looking at 40 and I'm like, thank fucking God. Like I can see how much more capable I am of holding uh, complexity and holding paradox and not having to be forced or even not forcing myself to choose between this or that, this expression or that, or over-identifying with Mm -hmm. one piece of it, you know. Um, An author I really love, Dorothy Sowell, says, you know, the best women I know refuse the Mm either-or. And that feels like so much a part of my process these days is to see, you know, whether I'm parenting my kids as a single mom or I'm meditating or I'm studying the mystics or I'm, you know, writing music or I'm dreaming about what to do on this photo shoot, you know, to see it all collectively as one, you know, resounding whole expression, like Mm -hmm. a symphony playing the same melody. Well, I think these kind of as strands, maybe as a visual, but it's almost like a a DNA model where it's all just sort of twisted and creates this unit, right? But it's all sort of intertwined in a way that um, is less picking and choosing. It's more just maybe channeling. And maybe that's... um, I have certain lanes that I go to and not necessarily, I don't think, to, to the degree that some artists do or yourself does, but... Because I think part of what I'm always conflicted with, too, is it's one thing if I'm expressing, like, I think the biggest difference between where I'm at as a so-called artist and where you might be as a recording artist or pick any medium that you're working with is this commercial aspect. People are asking me to produce something that they need. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't like this pure expression. Mm -hmm. It's I put in my input and my little twist and flavor on things. And then there's times I can do things 
just the way we want, you know, like just the way I want, or I can just shoot something for myself. And that's a nice hybrid, but, um, it's, it's, uh, I always feel like I always have a bigger foot in the commercial, like client world. Mm -hmm. And, and I just feel fortunate to do anything artistic to make a living because I wouldn't survive punching a clock or doing any of those things. I mean, that's the gift, you know, and my, my brother is a filmmaker as well. And he finds himself doing a lot of commercial work. And we talk a lot about, you know, the, the, uh, the gift, the privilege of, of being an artist in this world is that you have to find the ways in which you can make a living and do it with integrity so that you, f- you enjoy, you find meaning in what you're doing. And sometimes with some of the jobs, yeah, it's not like life-changing work, but then you find that you are relating deeply to the community of people you're working with. Yeah, absolutely. And that brings it, you know, together. Yeah. That, that makes it feel worth it because you're yeah. connecting kind of holistically with the people around you, but... Yeah, and just to be clear, I wasn't saying that I'm unsatisfied in this commercial world. It's just that it isn't completely one fire hose of my own totally. creativity. I yeah. have to mix and match. It's more like and a chef. And you've got clients, yeah, who yeah. have specific requests and things that they need, and you yeah. know, you have to find how to meet them in that. Yeah, yeah, and find a middle. But just, uh, but yeah, uh, but then how um, when you came back to West Michigan? So how long were you in Spain? So, you're, yeah, you're up, yeah, my first twelve years, and then we came back to the states while my dad was finishing up his doctorate. And um, things didn't work out with the mission. So suddenly we left my home country. And it was just supposed to be like an, a little furlough. We were just going to be back in the States for a little bit. And next thing we knew, we were leaving the country that we, like at least my brother and I felt yeah. was home. Um, so it was quite a drastic shift to go from, I don't know, Madrid to Valparaiso, Indiana. I mean, just like a slight, a slight whiplash, fall. slight cultural whiplash. No like parachute, just, just like enjoy. All of a sudden you're in Indiana. Um, but you know, yeah, we were there for a few years and then moved to Grand Rapids and, uh, what uh, was the pull of the Grand Rapids? Just curious. What was it? I mean, I think it was a teaching were, job that yeah. my dad had, um, at Cornerstone mm-hmm. University and then shortly after that, Mars Hill Bible Church was started, and he became really involved, and my brother and I got involved, and that's how we met Rob Bell, yeah. was through that. Um, I don't know it, if you know, but I went well, we, I went to L.A., and we did a podcast, and I went yeah. to his house, and then uh, we, we, you came up briefly in the podcast as well, just like... Oh, did you both talk shit? <laughs> yeah, we totally trashed you on it. It was ugly. Don't ever go listen to that episode, but yeah. I'm going to have to listen to it. No, it's... You know, I mean, as I look back, even in this conversation, it's like it's amazing to see how progressively expansive the um, the rungs of belief were getting for yeah. not just for me, but for our family. And you know, even as we were a part of Mars Hill, and then after we left Mars Hill, it's like it's only become more and more inclusive. Our frames of of faith of what we believe in, um, yeah. So it's interesting to see that. Yeah, it's progression. funny because. Um you know, growing up, there was a lot of, um, within Christian faith around here, it mm. was, you know, I grew up at Calvary and Denam, which was before Mars Hill. I mean, split right. off from Calvary was Mars Hill, and Ron went and started that church. And I grew up in that church, and it was very much, don't mix with Catholics, don't mix with Lutheran. I remember my parents would always, if I had a new friend, I'm talking like junior high, um, elementary school what church do they go to like you know, you know yeah. I'm like I don't know we're just trying not to 
you know, break our arms on our uh, our bikes and stuff. Right, right. And we're not really talking about, you know, uh, eternal damnation with each other all the time. So it is that culture that, uh, but over time, my parents got, shed some of that. And I don't Mm -hmm. know, it was just the world becoming more connected and global in the 90s and 2000s. And they moved around a bit and were exploring churches. And then I married a Catholic, which is exactly what we yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think you're saying, you know, I mean, it's so true because we cannot, we cannot ignore the reality that our worlds have become one world. We have become, especially with millennials and younger, it's like to grow up with the advent of the internet is to say that the ways in which we belong is shared. We yeah. find a shared sense of belonging. So if you're going to tell me that my friend is going to hell, like, sorry, peace, right. I'm out. Because you know, it's clear that our um, our humanity has evolved quicker than our faith tradition's capacity to offer the same kind of cosmic, inclusive, positive. E- Oops, sorry, um, don't talk with your hands, Stoner. <laughs> but even like body positive, you know, yeah. images like a positive anthropology. Yeah. Instead of thinking things like, "Oh, you're you know going to hell." Well, yeah. I mean, that's a, I could we could just talk about that, but it's um, you know the. the the one thing I'm less sure of is everything I've been sure of my whole life. And what yeah. I think other people are 100% convicted and sure of, like there's cracks in all of it. And mm-hmm. you just, uh, you know, if it comes down to this faith and you claim it and you shut everything out and you just, you know, pray harder to, you know, these things go away. Like it, it absolutely falls down. And I think the world as you experience it, and the more people, even within our own country, I'm not even saying you have to travel internationally, but if you're genuinely, genuinely a curious person mm-hmm. about humanity and humans, um, you can't be holding to things that actually perpetuate in your mind um, these divisions that are eternal in the afterlife that people are just going to burn forever. Yeah. And you're charged with running around telling them and inviting them to church and uh, hopefully they, you know, say the magic words and become saved. Right. Well, it's it's not all that different from like the political echo chambers that we find ourselves in, sure. right? Because both of those things are fueled by the lack of humility that certainty brings. Yeah. Which is, I think, part of why I felt so interested in making a podcast called Unknowing and talking about unknowing because I see it as the preamble to all creativity, but also yeah. the preamble to growth as a human being. Yeah. You know, when, you, when we go through these periods where we have to unknow, unlearn, and unsay what we thought we knew so well. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts. I hope I remember both because I'm not necessarily a great host. But they, <laughs> um, um, a couple things is, you know, you talked about r- religious entities, these frameworks and architecture of, of religious belief mm-hmm. that perpetuate structure, political structure, mm-hmm. financial structures, all these things. They are very slow to change because if you move the line from what you said was a hard line, you start to evolve and lose credibility. And you're almost like you're saying this political audience, you're going to lose your hardliners. They're going to be like, where is the church? You know, Mm -hmm. that's like when this Pope came in and was very like Mm -hmm. more liberal than the previous Popes. It's got all the, you know, conservative Catholics all crazy. And then other people are like cheering on all this acceptance and, and, uh, you know, open the floodgates to um, a larger umbrella under what is um, a communion with God. Right. So, 
But the other thing, which I forgot my other point, I knew I would. Um, well, so, I mean, we're resistant to change, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing is is that I don't care what religion you b- belong to, and I think I'm getting back to the point, is when you're faced with life just absolutely smacking you around to the ground, mm-hmm. uh, there's no faith that will necessarily... Um, it's going to be tested, and right. if you're going to... To this world of unknowing again. That's what you you are so sure. It's like slipping yeah. on the sidewalk, right? Yeah. You can have the most beautiful gate, great day. Right. And the next second you're on your ass wiping snow off your shoes and your elbow hurts right, and you right. got you're checking your body for broken bones. It's yeah. like this that detour is such a, a blunt uh, instrument. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, you know, for you as you've pivoted during these times where either you had challenges, has there been a particular source for you that has kept you bumped back onto the Mm -hmm. path of knowing more than when it became unknown? Yeah, um, that's a great question. I mean, I think the kind of knowing that I have learned to lean into is the knowing that comes more from the body, from experience. And the people who most illustrate that for me are the mystics and the artists. You know, mystics being, you know, somewhat the the rebels of all spiritual traditions who had these radical experiences of oneness with the divine God, you know, Mm -hmm. um, whatever the, the term may be. But they have these experiences and then they translate them out to the public in a way that makes you realize we have that capacity all along for these kind of transcendent encounters. Mm-hmm. And it's not for the purpose of transcendence. It's not so you can bliss out in a cave and be like, ah, I found it. I found right, right. peace with all, you know, it's, it's, it's so that you can then be a force of creativity and love and change the world that we live in. Um, there's a philosopher that I'm not a massive fan of, but he, you know, uh, his name's Ken Wilbur, and he talks about the fact that it only takes 10% of a population shifting in consciousness for the whole to shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I think of those mystics, those artists, those you know, as the revolutionary force at that at the edge of the 10%, trying to encourage right. humanity onward. So in my own life, when I'm you know when I slip and fall on my ass. Um, and I think for so many of us who have experienced this past year as that, the great halting of all of our plans, um, a, a giant reminder of our fragility as human beings, um, of our interdependence, of how much we need each other, yeah. um, and months and months and months for many of us in isolation. Uh, I think it's learning how to become more comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's, be- that's been my practice. Mm-hmm. Because when I can get into that space... I can trust that what's happening is, um, is an ever-becoming unfolding story. It never ends here. Right. Um, just like I'm not going to limit you by you know, your story ending at a certain point because it's still unfolding. I, I can trust that my story is unfolding too. So the belief systems that can, can move dynamically with you in that way, mm-hmm. I think are helpful gifts. Yeah. I, I don't think it's, I'm not one of those people who thinks you should throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to religion or faith traditions. I think there are profound gifts to humanity in each of them. Mm-hmm. But to mine them, to find those that actually inspire you to become a better human and to leave the institutional orthodoxy that is trying to imprison you into you know, a former culture 
um, or an unhelpful body view or view of all bodies. Sure. I think that shit, we got we to grow out of that. Yeah, it's the, <clears throat> uh, every organization, I don't care if it's Catholic or Muslim, when, when faiths become so large, or it could be just the new church startup on the corner, you know, like some whatever. It could be a, a brand new seed, you know, of a church. It still has all the entrapment and humanity and our failures. It has greed. It has power, uh, thirst for power. It has all the things we bring to <clears throat> our lives that make it complicated. And th- this isn't one thing you can just cast your, um, you know, your entire faith on. It has to be more inward and more of a, com- it has to be more of an inward journey than I think, um, and this is, not the way I was raised, but like just this way that you have to take these circumstances that you can give me a playbook, right? A church or religion can give you a playbook Mm -hmm. to play by when life does X, Y, or Z to you. But it's really, uh, it's just, I don't even know the right word, but it's just not, uh, it really becomes more of this exploration around the edges, the 10%, mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. other thing that actually then becomes to make more sense to you. Right. And there's so many things that don't make sense in um, the, the kind of American Christian conservative evangelical mm-hmm. sort of world I came out of. It just does not make any sense to me. And I, I have rejected it for myself right. and um, am on a, a very different path now that is complicated but I don't think you ever get there and I don't think I don't ever want to be so sure that I'm like yeah stop. you know the way I've been thinking about this journey recently is um, kind of comparing it to Narnia you know the story of Narnia mm-hmm. little girl goes to a wardrobe the wardrobe is magical spits her out in this new world you know, I think many faith traditions, and, and the creative process can be like this too. Mm-hmm. Many faith traditions um, have established a map to get you to the wardrobe, yeah. right? You're going to take the back stairs. Some people take the front stairs. No, you got to turn left. No, you got to turn right. And then once you get to the wardrobe, there's all these different camps of people camped out in front of the wardrobe, describing the details of the wardrobe. And some are arguing about whether there's three hinges or two, whether the wardrobe door has a mirror, yeah. how tall exactly it might be. But at the end of the day, you have to have the courage to get in the wardrobe. Right. And then your maps to the wardrobe, it was useful to a point. Yeah. But now you're in Narnia. So you have to trust your own agency, yeah. your own divine becoming, you know, your own manifestation of whatever it is that you believe in that offers you that greater meaning. Yeah. And become and do and be and create. It's a whole different energy than worshiping yeah. The map. This really clicked for me, Brie, when you take that approach and you apply it to creativity because totally. it's the same part of the brain, right? It's yeah. the same. And I remember having conversations with people in my family about prayer, right? And it's like, what's the difference between prayer and meditation or um, fasting or whatever? It's kind of the same part of the brain that you're going to to exercise to create this process that is either healing or calming or more appreciative or whatever your focus is. Um, but I, um, but uh, talking about creativity and how you get there and the choices you're forced to make along the way, mm-hmm. creative decisions could be within a project or within a song or mm-hmm. within a 
poem or this podcast, just mm-hmm. where we take this conversation and all, all of that. Those sort of decisions are important, and, and it's very much uh, parallel to, but going in the same direction as a, a faith journey, I would imagine. Yes. You know? Yeah, and I think that's been where I have been integrating so much in my life yeah. is recognizing the intersectionality of of spirituality and creativity and social transformation mm-hmm. because implicitly in all of them you know there's a certain learning of what has been that is necessary good work right yeah. we need that to be adult mature you know conscious human beings but if we don't then let go of what was in order to make room for what could be or yeah. what may yet be, we live with this, you know, um, myopic imagination. And then we wonder why our world looks the way that it does. Mm-hmm. But to have the prophetic imagination to fall into the wardrobe ourselves, whether that's on your faith journey or your creative journey, um, or even thinking about all of the transitions we're going through in our country and in the world, right? It's to fall into believing that there could be something better, that there should be something better, and that you yourself are an active participant, an agent that can do something about it. Yeah. And that's the fall into the new kind yeah. of, you know, becoming space where you have that creative power yeah. to do something in this world. These sort of ideas are sort of woven into your podcast that you've mm-hmm. um so it's called becoming no it's um it, it's called unknowing oh, unknowing yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah. Becoming. Uh, i think you should change the name because i i think michelle obama kind of she kind of stole that becoming, thunder yeah. <laughs> she unknowing yeah. yeah so for the last couple years <laughs> so just a little nobody i mean like nobody knows who she is so maybe i should just yeah. i'm gonna take it i'm gonna google her later i don't want to ask now and be really ashamed that i don't know who she is i'm serious she came out with that book title i was like damn michelle <laughs> Damn. She did it again. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's called Unknowing. And yeah. I, you know, for the last couple of years, I've had the privilege of being on a, on a podcast with Richard Rohr called Another Name for yeah. Everything. But explain who he is so yeah. people don't know. I mean, he's a major thinker around the edges of um, yeah. Franciscan belief. And, yeah, and, yeah. He's, he's been a huge figure in the wilderness for many of us who still kind of loosely have categorically held on to the, the term Christian. Yeah. And I say loosely because I think a lot of us are in some, some sort of post-Christian wilderness. Um, but yeah, he, he's a Franciscan priest, um, uh, or I shouldn't say priest, he's a Franciscan friar, teacher, author, has written dozens of books and um, you know, has a world, you know, worldwide audience of, of people yeah. who are so grateful for his work. But part of what he has done is he's expanded the categories of belief for so many people. Mm-hmm. And he's really allowed us to think differently about how we could you know, reconsider becoming um, or being Christian in a way that's more cosmically inclusive and supportive yeah. of other faith traditions as well. Ken Dobson was a guest on the podcast, and he—he's—I know he's a big—he cites him as an influence. I know Rob Bell does as well. But like, just uh, I think what he's been—and you can correct me if you—if I've mischaracterized kind of the, this. Uh, for me, he's expanded what is uh, he human love and acceptance around the ideas, uh, but not to distill your journey for faith or communion with God. Mm-hmm. It's uh, actually opening your arms much more wide open to all of us around us mm-hmm. and get less caught up on these 
small landmines that are actually massive landmines for most people in most communities. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What's a fair way to say his influence? How is he prodding? Maybe, maybe it's like, how is he, um, you know, how is he criticized, you know, by the, oh. by the voice? So that, that would tell us exactly where we are. If we start like, what are they saying about him? We know Ron Bell's the heretic. But oh yeah. Like, he's who, another yeah. heretic. Yeah. Of course he is. Yeah. So, so, you know, people criticize Richard for, for, you know, touting an alternative orthodoxy, you know, something mm-hmm. that doesn't align with, you know, Catholic Orthodox beliefs. When in reality, what he's doing is he is bringing a healthy critique to the ways in which we've interpreted orthodoxy to begin with. So he's, he's historically brilliant and theologically so uh, astute at pointing out, no, no, this belief in, you know, um, in, in human beings as being fallen, here's when that kicked in. Uh, you know, the idea that Jesus had to pay this atonement price, here's when that happened in history. Um, and so what he does is he allows us to see that these are all human ideas and concepts, uh, ways in which the church fathers um, were trying to make sense out of, out of you know, our faith tradition. And, and the, way, the way that he uh, shares the evolution of the Christian faith, I think, gives a lot of people permission to question yeah. or let go of what is really you know, not a very positive anthropology, not a, not a very positive view of human beings. Yeah. Um, and I think his last work, you know, he really, uh, with the cosmic Christ, you know, he, or the, sorry, the universal Christ, he is introducing the idea that Christ can be another name for everything, which is where we got mm-hmm. the idea for the podcast title. Yeah. And if you choose so to see just, divinity that way yeah. in everyone, it changes how you interact. Mm-hmm. It changes your drive for social justice if you believe that every single living being is an expression of the divine. Yeah, great. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I meant another name for everything. I wanted you to just sort of explain that, you know, you're one of the um, three co-hosts with, well, it's Richard, it's you you and your cohort, co-host. Paul Paul, yeah, Mm -hmm. thank you. You know, are just kind of talking around a central theme of ideas with Richard and letting, you're just sort of probing and uh, amplifying your learnings as you talk to Richard. Right. And it's a really calm, meditative podcast, but it's called Another Name for Everything. Um, But it has a wide reach. I mean, some idea of like, you know, it's national, international audience, people who are seekers, you know, especially around spirituality. I'm sure it has a very multi-denominational following. It does. I think it in so many ways because it's it's offering the world a more inclusive faith framework at a time when we're desperate for that, when we need it. We need it so that we can evolve how we um, how we arrange ourselves socially and politically and how we think about politics um, personally and collectively. Yeah. So... Um, with your podcast coming out, it's not quite, and this isn't about product lanes, but it's like, it's in the, I, works. It's in the works and I know you've <laughs> recorded some things, but yeah. uh, um, when it goes live, I'll, I'll update the, the show notes in case you're listening to this uh, episode, you know, now that the time it was released, but um, I'm excited about what you can bring within that framework and talk about, like you were telling me just before our shoot, you know, just kind of the ideas and subject matter that you want to probe and explore. It isn't all about religion necessarily, but it's about a journey of creativity and um, how it intersects. Yeah, I'm playing with the the working subtitle of Unknowing 
would be something along along the lines of a spiritual path of creative possibility. Mm. So whether you are an artist or somebody who's really committed to social change, um, you know, this is this is the kind of conversation that I want to have because I find myself at that intersectional place. Uh, in which I, I want my spirituality to influence my politics. I want my politics to influence my art. I want my life to be lived from a place of deep meaning in service to beauty, not for the sake of beauty, but for the sake of what beauty can inspire in all of us and how it can animate our courage, how it can make us um, feel more connected to each other and to this planet that we have a deep responsibility to treat in a completely different way. So, you know, I'm hoping to have conversations with, um, with artists, with spiritual teachers, with social change makers, you know, mischief makers, and, and, and try to create that tapestry for people so that, you know, regardless of what it is that you do for a living, you can see the threads of change and feel yourself connected to them mm-hmm. and feel inspired to, um, to see your work as a spiritual practice, to see your relationships as part of your art you know, reframing how we interact so that everything that we do becomes more full, more um, animated, and, and uh, uh, more, more actively increasing our collective imagination. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how much the pandemic has helped you in a weird way to say helped but it's My created, dating life? It's, hmm, it's <laughs> we're not going there. We, uh, <laughs> we don't have enough time. What I'm wondering is, uh, (laughs) what I'm wondering is, uh, you know, in in sort of strange ways, is there any silver linings as you're thinking about developing, you know, this other form of communication via podcast on your own, even though you're part of this large Mm -hmm. podcast network, um, you know, with Richard, that audience framework, I should say. Yeah. And then you're writing music, you're, you know, you're doing your own spiritual practice or meditative practice, whatever it might be. You know, has the pandemic being a mom and all this other stuff, uh, has it created unexpected pockets of mm, focus for you that you would not necessarily be able to do if this hadn't arrested the world and slowed it down? I think we can all look at this time and find something like that, you know. Um, Whenever business as usual is brought to a halt, there is always creative opportunity and potential. And I think in my own life, this, this tenure of a forced monasticism experience, <laughs> I didn't really sign up for, but there it was. Um, I was bouncing between two radically different experiences of, the, of quarantine and of the pandemic. On the one hand, I would have a week without my kids where I was completely alone, um, where I would like rub, you know, like sit on a, on a stairwell and just like lean my head up against the wall to just, you know, feel what it felt like to be held because it's just like, oh God. <laughs> Um, and then also, you know, being a single parent. So it was this this whiplash between, you know, mm-hmm. this, this really intense, you know, homeschooling and the works and yeah. then being completely alone. But I think the opportunity for all of us, whenever we find ourselves in these states of, of um, you know, complete stop, you know, yeah. is to look inward and to do a lot of healing work, yeah. um, to have the courage to look at the unbeliefs that we have about ourselves and each other, um, and then to begin to make room for them to come up and out. And I think for so many of us, we've had this experience where all of a sudden we have time. I mean, imagine that. We're not running around like crazy like we used to. Right. And I hope that's a lesson that we'll bring into the future as a society. You know, Americans, we're such workaholics. We're, 
obsessed right. with this drive to be busy, but that's not the same thing as being creative. Yeah. So during this time, um, I think because of all of the healing work and meditation and being alone and then being with the kids, I did find myself in a place of, of a new kind of creative swell right. and um, started working on a new album uh, over the summer and have been busy at that recording and working with a new producer now and we're sending each other files back and forth like all the musicians are doing these days. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I, f- I found myself really hungry to have these types of conversations about unknowing, yeah. about um, being willing to let go of the mind's need for certainty and drop in lower into a more embodied and spacious way of, um, you know, practicing creativity and love. Yeah, in this sort of like vacuum of everything not being business as usual, I sort of felt like, you know, if you're on a motorcycle that vibrates a lot, like you're still vibrating for an hour after you get off the motorcycle, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like still, but then that dissipates and then there's this quiet that happens. But it takes a while to sort of, we get into the quiet again, you know, and just really have this um, moment where you can change a lane so you can fully experience whatever creative process you're doing. If you are still running around like crazy, if you're still going into the office all the time, you know, now you can do a couple hours of emails and then have a couple hours where you're just not responding to emails and doing some things, these little pockets of time. Yeah. It's really got me thinking about, like, what am I happy about? What am I most want to do? That's it. You and know? I found out that I don't have to do all those things, mm-hmm. even financially. Right. Like, just so, taking whatever. So much of what I think we thought we needed or we thought was normal has come into question during this time. Yeah. And I think this is a great opportunity for us individually and collectively to reconsider our habits around work. Yeah. And to rethink and reprioritize um, what slowness and spaciousness and a meaningful life can mm-hmm. offer in lieu of the, 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 you know, the myth of success, yeah. of being successful, which we've, in this culture especially, equated with just making a shit ton and working you know, yeah. like a workaholic. Got to get mine, stack it up. Yeah, and it's like, I think the slowness has offered us a different rhythm and in that rhythm, we're able to maintain a sense of connection to ourselves, to our bodies, to our relationships, and an increased sense of tender care, Yeah. of recognizing that this is actually... And I think that's why abstractly, like it, it almost feels, getting back to Spain and Europe, it almost feels like a slightly yeah. slower European sort of contemplative way to live where you can have a three-hour dinner in the midst on a Tuesday or Thursday night. Right. Where work tomorrow is not the most important thing. It's those two or three hours together as a family or with friends. And no agenda. Just enjoying talking about cinema, talking about life, talking about politics, talking about whatever that is, and enriching each other just through presence, Mm -hmm. which doesn't happen. We all go here to our, you know, little bubbles of activity that's very small and insular when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And this is what presence gifts us with. Presence yeah. connects us to a state of abundance. And you know, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I'm not Buddha beads and Tulum spiritual teachering you right now by saying that. Like, Can I just can we go to Tulum? That would be awesome. <laughs> I'd love to. It's about I'm eight not, degrees you know, today. Telling you to manifest. I'm saying that <laughs> presence 
uh, opens us up to recognizing that we are and can live from that abundant place. You can put your tools down. They will be there for you when you come back after your practice. You can put your paintbrush down and that painting, that work of art you're working on, Mm -hmm. it's still gonna be there working itself in you, on you, while you're doing other things. And I think that's been part of what I've been trying to live into. You know, you started this conversation by by saying, you know, here I am, this creative hurricane. And people say, especially women, say, how do you do all this stuff? And the thing is, is I have a, I have a full-time job. I'm a single mom. And because of that, I have pockets where I don't have the kids when I can kind of let loose in a different way. Yeah. But with all of it, it's, it's giving myself permission to be present to where the oxygen flow is in that moment and going there, mm-hmm. knowing that everything else is going to be there for me. It's not going to go anywhere. Right. Just tending a little. It's like having a garden. It's like, you, you know, do a little work over here and yeah. do a little work over there and... I think that I'm hoping that a lot of us, just everyone, has given themselves time to think about their own self-care in whatever it is, and that could provide some space. If if your partner's home more because they're not at the office, well, you can go read a book for two hours, Mm -hmm. or you can take a walk, walk, or those little things, and taking time for yourself, because there is time, and you don't have to feel guilty about it, actually should be prioritized in in just how you look at your life holistically. So, you know, there are certain things I'm very hopeful about, other things I'm horrified about, that w- how, where we are as a country mm-hmm. and a c- community and, uh, you know... how We got we some work to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think there's probably yeah. some, some some podcast episodes in there. <laughs> but, um, so you're writing... So normally with Avila, you're with your um, creative partner, Dan. Daniel. Mm-hmm. And Daniel, sorry. Oh, he I goes still, by Dan. I still have his... Uh, he'll be very pleased to hear this, but I still have his... Uh, he brought the most lovely um, wet naps that are like... <laughs> I, like, I remember this. <laughs> I forgot. And, he, 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 and I saved them because I love it so much, but he's like... He's like, come get your refreshment. And it was just a little like hand towel wipe. Yeah. And there's some scent. I forget what scent it is. That's so him. Anyway, <laughs> Attention to detail. But, uh, but partly because of distance and, and collaborative sort of things, um, I'm, I'm supposing that you have this own sort of singular channeling that you're doing. And yeah, it's more my of a solo own work. execution. Yeah. And I mean, this is part of, you know, my relationship with Dan, which spans you know over a decade now, is that we've been able to weave together um, times when we collaborate on work and times when we kind of each go and do our own stuff. And he's been, um, he, you think I'm a hurricane. I'm like, Dan's a whole nother <laughs> level of hurricane, but he's been working on a new record. I think it's going to be a double LP. Mm. Um, you know, like you yeah. do, just drop Double. 22 songs, sure. whatever. Why not? Um, so he's been working on his own music. And I think in part because I was doing so much healing and connecting with my own embodiment as a woman and just um, healing from heartbreak of, you know, a year and a half ago and just kind of gaining my sense of agency and um, standing standing to my feet in the cosmos in a way. It was just kind of like, I mean, it sounds really intense, but I think it has something to do with the age that I'm at where it's like things are really coming together yeah. in me, um, around me. And so it felt right to sit down with my guitar again and just write these, you know, 
kind of dreamy love songs for myself, for where I'm at, um, and maybe a little bit of prophetic imagination too, of recognizing the space that I'm in, the expansive place that I'm in, and the kind of love that I'm inviting into my life right now. Yeah. Well, there are some clips on your Instagram that are really enticing and, and beautiful to watch and listen to, just knowing that they're these little 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 snippets little appetizers you're throwing <laughs> out but just it's more a window into your creative process and where you are i think you lay yourself pretty bare about kind of what you're thinking mm-hmm. or writing about your fantastic writers who by the way thank you and um uh immense words not and not just music but just uh your how it's all channeling through is is pretty amazing but um and I don't know if we should save it for another time. I know you mentioned a year and a half ago, but I don't know mm-hmm. if you just want to sketch it for people, like just this journey you've been on uh, through your relationship and your family, or if we just kind of pause it and either way I can cut this out or we can just go, oh, another time. But yeah, um, no, I, 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 think, I think what I want to say about it is that, um, you know, so many of us have had this experience in love, especially as, as women, early on in our lives, be it because of our Christian upbringing or, you know, just a lot of the societal, patriarchal, you know, mm-hmm. shit that we have ingested and we're, we're swimming in. Um, we've had this experience in which we fall in love and fall out of ourselves mm-hmm. and um, become deeply attached with people before we really have our own center without really having a clear sense of our own boundaried, strong selfhood. Um, I saw a post recently, and I'm mad that I can't think of who wrote it, but she was describing this both-and-ness of, hey, I can be soft and strong. Right. You know, I can have boundaries, and that doesn't mean I'm closed off. Mm-hmm. I can um, have important insights and not mean that I'm like an opinionated bitch because I have important insights. Right. And I think it's this work that we're all in, especially um, women and in, in trying to reclaim kind of a deeper centered place from which we can then generously love mm-hmm. um, in a way in which we don't feel possessed or owned. Yeah. I think in my past, I've had the experience of feeling a bit like a, you know, like a pretty exotic bird that a man just wants to keep. Um, and in the keeping process, there's a gilded cage. It's still a sure. cage. Yeah. Um, and... I'm fascinated by the ways in which we talk about love. I, I'm a big fan of um, this French philosopher, Luce Irigaray, and she says that our categories and the ways in which we talk about love need to change because the I presupposes that you know who you are. Love you supposes that you know who the you is right. as opposed to having a more dynamic, expansive way of expressing love, she says, which should be I love to you. I, the unfolding mystery that I am, offer my love on this journey to you who are an, an unfolding mystery. That kind of dynamic spaciousness is, I think, a lot of what we're hungering for right now when we think about relationships. And, it, and just going back and tying it back to a little bit to the religious conversation we're having, it really is an inward, you have to have the love to to it to, to somebody within you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You it, and. So much of our narrative is receiving this love, and I one need to feel loved, and I need to like I'm not getting what I need love wise, and that's a real thing. I'm not discounting it, but like that sort of development and confidence that you spoke about. There's a yeah. couple things like I think the greatest thing. There's so many things I don't like about being 52, 
but I wouldn't change the confidence and sort of like um, centeredness and happiness I feel that I didn't have at 40. I didn't have it at 30. I love hearing that because I'm like, I already feel like, you know, getting to 40, I'm like, God, I feel so much more at ease in myself and clear. And I think it will continue. I think that's part of one of the blessings of age, especially if you're on an authentic, I hate that word, authentic, honest, um, earnest journey of searching Mm -hmm. that's in humility. And life will offer that to you plenty. You know, it will correct you. Mm-hmm. When you're a little too far drunk on success or other things or whatever, it will. <laughs> mm-hmm. It has a way of of centering, trying to get you to center. Whether you are creating the, you know, whether you're in front of creating that centeredness, or if you all of a sudden need to get back on the right road. But my point is, is that. Um, and maybe it's just because, you know, I don't know. I was going to make a self-deprecating joke, and I just think it's I, it's okay to say I'm I'm happy and confident. I feel really good about mm-hmm. the things that I can do yeah, and my family and where that's at and, and where we are. We've gone through tremendous things together and um, a lot of sacrifices. Not perfectly healthy by any means. Right. No one is. No but one is, at yeah. the same time, it's like, Man, like I, I just think there's a lot to look forward to at your age. And the other thing I was glad I wanted to just say is, uh, just going back, and I'm glad we're talking about it abstractly. But I think when things go bad, especially in relationships, there's too much agency given to. Yes, there's a period of time where you're sort of defined by emerging from something. Mm-hmm. And that has too much power sometimes. And I think it takes a while to release it and let it go mm-hmm. and then say, this is this is mine and it isn't that yeah. anymore. Yeah. And um, and that, so I, I didn't preface that properly when I, when I queued up the question. It's just, the, you know, I don't, it, it's the wrong angle to, to, to take such defined parameters of, um, you know, that's not what you should be focused. It isn't that, that's too much power and agency given to one person or one relationship, right. especially now yeah. when you are this more complete person probably than you've been and feeling all these things. Yeah, I think, you know, there's this, there's a period of time where we are trying on different shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and the motivation for why we try certain shoes on is a complex thing. Yeah. You know, whether we were told that you should pick shoes like that or whether you were in a really kind of fragile and transitional place and so you kind of just slipped into the shoes and didn't even know how you wound up in that situation. Either way, the most important thing, I think, is finding your feet and feeling yourself what feels best, what fits you best in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm still very much in the process of discovering what partnership with the creative hurricane looks like. Yeah, yeah, because I think it's, you know, I don't know. I I think there's a lot that we need to rethink about, um, about about how we we relate to each other. And I'm very much enjoying the space and place of discovery. Mm -hmm. I I won't be so willing again to um, fall out of myself. In fact, I hope I don't. I hope I'll fall in love, but... I I don't want to fall out of myself. I like how Brene Brown says that phrase, like, I won't abandon myself again. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think only because of the time and space that you have now. Like, it's, um, yeah, and and I hope for whatever you hope for, but it's just not, uh, it's... Um, it's something that you, you won't ever go back to that in the same capacity. You can, right. or in the you same angle. You learn the angle. lessons. Yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah, you take it, away the experience. And yeah. you're uh, wiser and smarter. I think just my bar was so low in my 30s and 40s of like just being a kind of an idiot and just going along. But you think at every point you have it figured out. So this part of me at 52 wants to go... 62 is probably pretty great too. 72 <laughs> yes. is pretty good. You know, at least your mind and like being yes. smart and wise. There are so many things about it. Not giving a flying F, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like just, oh, just, I don't know. Yeah. We need to celebrate that more in our culture. We really do. Yeah. This aging thing is a really beautiful, wonderful, like, relief. Yeah. I want to go back to the photo shoot because I, I really. That was so fun. Yeah. I want to go back to the photo shoot because you. I want you to explain this character because on on Bree's um, episode page, you know, I put a bunch of our favorite portraits from this session that we did just for the podcast. These photos will live on in your other creative <laughs> spaces, but the impetus for the portrait shoot was this conversation. So, mm-hmm. um, tell me about this character that you sort of dreamt up uh, and and executed for for a portrait shoot. You know, I was just thinking about about so, like, so much of what we've talked about, about this integration of spirituality and creativity and um, you know change. And there's this fierce feminine feline energy to that that I think is, we can all feel it culturally afoot. And I kind of just wanted to um, play dress up as this you know, patron saint of all artists you know, muse, muse, muse of the mystics yeah. um, and, and play with that you know, iconography a little bit of, of, uh, of the dynamism of becoming and creativity, you know, yeah. that it's like you see a guitar, you see a paintbrush and you, you, you don't associate with it as a, as a flat object. You associate yeah. with the music it creates or with the shapes that, that the brush is going to make. And I'm so drawn to anything that moves us toward that imagination that, yeah, kind of yeah. just started putting some things together like you do on a you know Thursday and you're like exactly. ordering things off Amazon like yeah, I should find a halo made out of zip ties like yeah well one thing I really appreciate about you as an artist and as a person because it it really talks about you as a person and a friend I believe now is just like you know working with your video project which again I'll put that on the artist page so we can look at what we the song we did with uh, Avila but it's a really about vulnerability mm-hmm. and in projecting this vulnerability and to really be great about even this photo shoot that we did today to think very strategically about how you wanted to piece this wardrobe together how you mm-hmm. wanted to present that for the camera this character you were thinking that came from a place from inside you and what you're feeling about nurturing and spirituality and growth and humanity and you know it really comes down to humility and also being kind of fearless you know you have to because Ooh. i tell you what most people could not put on the costume that you did <laughs> and have the power <laughs> if i put it on <laughs> it would be ridiculous 
like you know what I mean? To the embodiment, the embodiment of it. You know, I also think this is the power of community because you know Brennan being here, our creative director, and Angie, our makeup artist, who is both of them part of the shoot, Mm -hmm. and you know, feeding off each other. It's that the trust that we have in one another as a creative community is part of how we arrive at those moments of fearlessness. But yeah, I mean, it's like. Yeah, I've had a couple kids and I'm like parading around in my underwear and like, you know, these beautiful kimono robes. But I think I wanted to, I wanted to convey the sense of softness and vulnerability that we've been in this past year. Mm-hmm. And that was even a decision that Brennan and I made this morning where it was like, should we do this? Should we not? Um, and in saying that out loud and saying like, yeah, but this year for all of us has been dressed down. Yeah. We've all of us like unrobed from yeah. so much and that there was something about that tender vulnerable place that I wanted to communicate visually and I'm glad we did yeah it was a really fantastic shoot and especially when you articulate it in that way I think um, when people see the portraits and see the series that we did we'll be seeing much more and reading much more deeply into just maybe a, a nicely crafted wardrobe or a nicely crafted photograph or lighting or whatever it might be there's a lot of layers metaphorically that we're bringing you and Brennan and everyone, Angie too, to the thing. And this is what I love about this, this, this medium that we work in is it's collaborative and it's uh, supportive and um, it's in a place where you can feel safe enough to be that vulnerable Mm -hmm. to do that. And, Anyway, that's also been my experience on the on the video project. I mean, there is not a more vulnerable narrative than was created in in that. Um, remind me again of the name of the song. I'm so sorry. It'll I be tried. A, I tried. Yes, yes, which is a great. Yeah. I love that song, and where you went during that video um, shoot was incredible. And again, I won't we won't break it down with words, but you can see it for yourself, and I'll embed that in your episode page as well what else can we cover because I just think uh, is there anything missing because I feel like we should kind of wrap on that photo shoot but also I don't want to leave anything out Um, I think we got it I mean unless there's anything else that you can think of but well I could talk to you just about about everything Spain spirituality Spain (laughs) creativity I mean, I think it was pretty epic it was pretty good for uh, an hour and eight minutes now at this point so But um, anyway, I thank you for inviting me to your creative process over the years. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to work with you again over the years. What am I saying? Well, it has probably, actually has it been, been two it years. It has been two years now. Wow. You can say that with well, integrity. Anyway, <laughs> I, well, just about how good things happen in a row when you say yes to things, yeah. meaning I'm speaking about myself, is I met Brennan. And now Brennan's worked on some major, major commercial client um, set building and things. And yeah. so... Without that introduction to her uh, via your website or website, your your uh, music video. Right, the way that these things work together yeah, is a- part of the beauty and what inspires me so much. Yeah. But I'm so deeply inspired by you. We got to this you. point without saying alchemy. How is that possible? We got to redo it. <laughs> we got to redo the whole okay, thing. So the alchemy of Alch- yes. this situation. You no, know, but in all in all honesty, Brian, you know, I think. I'm, I'm so inspired by you and, and the creative capacity that you have to execute 
these wild ideas and even take them so much further. I mean, I think that was the gift of being able to work with this community on the music video shoot too, mm-hmm. was like I came with these you know ideas, but then Brennan made these insane costumes. And then the way that you lit it and the story you told and the angles that you set up, I mean, it, it made it what it was. And so I think this is the greatest privilege for me of, of being in any creative field is the creative collaboration and the community yeah. and the amount of love. I mean, I was so excited to come here today. I, I told my kids yesterday and I was like, I think I'm going to pee myself. Like, I'm so excited. Like, and genuinely was like 99% of that was just seeing you, you know, like just to be able to be back in well, the space and feel that kind of creative, like play again. Yeah. It was a blast. And I, I think part of what I try to do is just receive the person, the subject, right? And receive whatever their vision is and then work around the... I'm the 10% around the edges. It's 90%. You're way too humble Where about is that. A, uh, so what did you call... Oh, I'm a mystic in my own way. Mm-hmm. I'm on the 10%. You are. I'm going to cut that out because that sounded very arrogant. That's not no, what I meant. I'm actually, only 10% of the process. You, know? you have to keep it. And, and, and I mean that. Because I'm not this, a mystic. I'm just saying that. No, I, I, actually, sure. I actually think this would be a really good way for people to reframe for themselves. Whatever it is that you're doing, you can be a mystic in what you're doing, just depending on the energy that you bring to it. Yeah. Well, and everyone has a role. So it's it. everyone's a role. And my, I think my role is to give you the space to find the spot that works visually mm. and working collaborative to get to that point. And I don't do it, I certainly don't do it by myself. Mm-hmm. When I get moments like today and this coming in where I just have to re- listen and respond visually to things is such a joy. So mm-hmm. anyway, I appreciate you and I can't wait Ditto. to see what happens with your podcast, this new Thank album. You. Yeah. This, I mean, I'm sure when this we're comes gonna, out, it'll change be, your life. We're going to be playing, we're going to be playing a lot more in the future, of course. But That'll be fun. Yeah. All right, Brie, thanks so much. I can't wait. Uh, I can't wait to share these photos. So, yeah, me too. Uh, Thank you so fun. much for having me, Brian. I love that conversation with Brie. What a awesome person so creatively talented please check out fullexposurepodcast.com slash brie to see the photos that we created together see her music videos i've posted two of them uh she's a real force and i cannot wait for her podcast uh to come out because i think she's gonna have an amazing audience and a lot of reach with her platform with all the things she's interested in. So that's that's awesome. Um, hey, my special thanks again to Metro Health University Michigan Health and Dr. Peter Hahn. They are such great and generous supporters of this podcast. So if you are thinking about uh, medical care in any way, different uh, family physician or provider, healthcare provider of any type, check out Metro Health. They're amazing. All right, everybody. Have a fantastic week. Uh, I just can't wait to go get it. So you get it too. All right. Take care. The Full Exposure Podcast is brought to you by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn. In appreciation of the creative and artistic visionaries who enrich our lives through cultural connections. <laughs>